You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 75 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with Office Apps and Services MVP Susan Hanley. Hey, this is Christian Buckley with another MVP Buzz Chat, and I'm here today with Sue. Sue, hello. Hey, Christian. How are you? I'm doing well. Sue, for the folks that don't know you, those three people, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, where you are, what you do? I am Sue Hanley. I am in Bethesda, Maryland, a rare place for me to be, which is where I live. Uh, and I am a business analyst and information architect, um, office apps and services MVP, and I'm a consultant. I focus on all things user adoption, governance, training, all things related to people and how they use technology. I, you know what? I, I, I just like to bring this up that it is just a, uh, a thing of luck in your career to find a company called Susan Hanley LLC and then go to work for them. That's pretty amazing. I know. You know what? The best part about my job is that I get the employee of the month parking space every month well you know i like to earn those kinds of things not just yet <laughs> so what so what you so i've known you for uh for about a decade now and there's a couple topics that you're really known for i mean governance number one most people know you for that uh we have had many conversations and many interviews over the years around information architecture and uh and, and i don't know how much you're getting questions now that we have microsoft teams which has become really kind of the primary point of entry into collaboration for more and more organizations in the Microsoft ecosystem, how information architecture, what the role of, of IA is in a team's world. So, I mean, I think, you know, information architecture is basically how you organize and um, display your content. And so um, most people think of information architecture as applying to an entire intranet or a website. But when you think about it, every sort of team that you're a part of has its own information architecture. How do you organize the content in folders, channels, uh, if you will? How do you, um, well, I guess this is kind of related to IA. It's partially governance, which is why I like to say that IA and governance go together. You can't really separate them. But what are the norms and behaviors that we want to apply uh, for the teams in which we are a part of? such as where do we store our content, how do we name our files, which is kind of a cross between IA and governance. So I think the concepts and principles of good names and understanding your audience and understanding the domain that you're modeling when it comes to an information architecture applies just as much to Microsoft Teams as which is more of a you know, one team at a time kind of thing as it does to an intranet as a whole. So um, really important to sort of have those basic fun fundamental, fundamental foundational skills, no matter what kind of information you're modeling. You know, it, we always talk about uh, you know, going and setting up healthy governance practices and establishing things like your naming conventions uh, for something like Microsoft Teams. There are very few organizations that come in Greenfield looking at this technology. They've got a, a, there's a land rush of this new technology. They've already built out dozens, if not hundreds of teams and channels as they, they flipped the switch and went live. 
So how do you come back from that and, and organize? And that's, that's kind of the, I, I would suspect where a consultant like yourself comes in and helps kind of clean up the mess that was created already, as well as establish those best practices. So, you know, in a dream scenario, and my first choice is that the model for all deployment of new technology is governance first. That we should be thinking about things, especially with Office 365, mostly because of naming conventions and then the and that the first entity to create a container, whether it be a team or a, a communication site, the first one to create the container with that name has effectively made a land grab for the name. And what you really have to be careful about is whoever claims IT as their URL or the name of their team now owns the site in your tenant called IT. And I've had numerous clients have the issue with actually IT because when it comes to designing your new intranet, you want to create a communication site for IT to effectively sell their wares to the organization. But IT got land grabbed by the team creating the collaboration space for the IT team. So in my dream world, we're going to do governance first. Um, Obviously, we can't always do that. So we need to apply some good organizational principles, you know, go all Marie Kondo on your content. Uh, just I spent the last week actually um, really doing all those cleanup things around my house that I never get a chance to do. And I noticed by looking at what people are commenting on, on what they're posting, what they were doing over their Christmas break on Twitter. I'm not the only person who spent the last week organizing. My desk is really nice now. I donated... Uh, 10 pairs of ski pants, uh, mostly belonging to my uh, youngest child, you know, over the, uh, all the ski pants. I don't even know why I have them anymore. He's 28 years old. He doesn't live at home anymore. Um, but I spend all this time organizing things. It is 100% possible to do, to do that cleanup. And in some instances, you basically set, you kind of let things go and start fresh. And that's Sometimes that's totally okay, but it is a good idea before you get too far down the road deploying Teams and a SharePoint and all of Office 365 to take a step back and think about what are the business goals? What are the outcome goals we're trying to achieve and work backwards into all of the good things? We should be doing to make sure that we don't have those kind of conflicts. You know, I, I find that with the, the conversations around governance, and again, you and I have had many of these discussions. It, uh, it, even back when I was, uh, you know, in the uh, SharePoint migration world, I mean, the conversations always came back to governance and change management and organizations that, because I found that so many migration projects as kind of where I was leading towards with the governance question is really about change management and organizations that are, good at change management at taking the reality of the complexity the messes that are created yeah but we have a process on how to address those issues and to move the organization forward it doesn't mean that you have all the answers but you have at least you're making an effort you have processes in place to to address them and then to try to you know uh, systematically address and 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 set policy going forward, guidelines for an organization. Um, so migration and governance you know, are, are, you know, go hand in hand. And I would look at information architecture and governance go hand in hand around with change management. Yeah, I mean, look, change is hard. 
my favorite quote about change, uh, change is good, you go first. I mean, thinking about change uh, and when it comes to migration is complex. Um, I have a concept that I think seems to serve well and not get people all hung up about what happened in the past. And that is all content left behind. When you're doing a migration, your first choice, first thing that you should be focused on is why migrate? What are we migrating and why are we migrating it? Let's think about prior to migration, what can we just archive? You know, as human beings, one thing I've learned, I've been a consultant, I was thinking about this just the other day. I have been in consulting for 40 years, more than many people have been alive. And one thing has not changed about um, the people that I work with and oftentimes myself, and that is that we are natural hoarders. We like to keep information long past its useful life. In fact, I worry and sometimes in organizations that we protect our physical and retain our physical assets. Um, we treat them with more care than we do our information assets. If a chair is broken, we fix it. But when information is out of date, no longer necessary, and may in fact violate our own records retention policy, we hold on to it. You know, you almost have to pry it out of our cold, dead hands. So I would say, argue that that wasn't always the case. I think the, uh, you know, so being in, I spent the, the first, you know, third of my career in, you know, data warehousing, information architecture, like that for a, the phone company, for Pacific Bell. And we're constantly purging the data. We were looking at and cleaning that up because of the cost of that storage. As we've seen the cost of storing that information come down dramatically, that's when organizations just said, we don't know what the long-term value of this, of this content is. We're just gonna keep everything, which then, to your point, organizations then got sloppy. They then stopped. And we saw this, I always like this story, like when, when search and SharePoint improved, people started complaining that, well, search is broken. No, search is now working properly. It's highlighting your improper permissions management. You, you, you didn't do the hard work to organize it, to lock things down, and you're now surfacing all of those uh, errors. It, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm not so sure. I totally agree. I think information has been hoarded for a really, really long time. I once met with a lawyer who told me what he'd really like to do is blow up Iron Mountain, you know, the, the storage facility where people put their um, paper records because almost everyone's content management approach has been uh, like the Roach Motel, content checks in and it never checks out. Very often, that actually is going to cause you significant financial pain in an e-discovery scenario. And the only people who benefit, Sarbanes-Oxley actually contributed um, a lot to people cleaning things up because that regulation basically, if I can interpret it as a non-lawyer, said that if you have a records management policy that you follow, then that content is not subject to e-discovery. And I think that may have encouraged some organizations, forget the cost of storage, um, it's really more uh, yeah, um, paying for the e-discovery. So organizations that were involved, have ever been involved in litigation are aware of the importance of um, getting rid of content after it's passed its useful life. So that, you know, when we, let's go back to migration. So the reason we want to think about that is so that we don't have to migrate content 
that is no longer useful. Because honestly, if we want to bring it to the cloud and get the most value, we want to do things like um, if we can tag it with metadata, if nothing else the last time it was updated, um, make sure that we are putting things in containers that have good naming policies and all that. And the easiest way to do that is to not have a ton of content to migrate. And so if we could start first by looking, do we actually have to migrate the content? Then I think we're going to save a lot of time and energy. And it just becomes that much easier for us to organize things as we uh, migrate the content to a team or a communication site uh, to build our sort of digital estate in the cloud. So, I mean, if we could think about it that way, I think we're going, it becomes less overwhelming, the right. whole concept of migration. Well, there's, there's a whole thing of, of you know, you know, can we build it versus should we build it as you're designing a system? I used to, I know that you'd, you know, have, be familiar with this, this problem. I, I used to say, um, is going with the new product do you ask somebody for the requirements before or after you show them what the new technology can do because the funny thing happens if you if you have somebody you go to them and say hey we want to build a new intranet what do you need and go through those requirements they're going to give you their answers uh, filtered through the lens of their understanding of what's possible now then you show them all the new technology Suddenly they come back and say, well, we act that we could do all these other things and their requirements get much more complex. And of course, something that happens over time, as you start piloting new technology, new, again, look at Microsoft Teams and we get this new capability. Once people start understanding like, oh, I see how this works. Actually, you know, my requirement was based on my understanding of how something had to be done and the old way of doing things you know, actually, if we could go and automate this and we could do this better and I don't need this information. So their, their requirements, their needs as it matures, their under, lens of understanding is kind of open to that new technology. You know, but, so the, the downside to that is if you show them the new technology first, they ask for a bunch of things which they really don't need to get their job done. Right. Well, I think you just highlighted, I think I may have counted, you may have used the R word 20 times. That is why I have banned the word requirements from my <laughs> vocabulary. Because actually, and honestly, I learned this technique when I was a baby consultant almost 40 years ago, that we should, you never, ever, ever ask people for requirements for technology. What you ask them for is what outcomes they need to achieve, what their business challenges are, where the pain points are in the way they work. I never, ever ask someone what they want in an intranet, and I design intranets all the time. I, I, about you know, the I, I learned that lesson that uh, you know, early in my career, again, back working for the phone company, where I delivered a project. At the end of that, I mean, it changed dramatically what the, what the internal customers wanted over the course. We learned, we adapted, we changed. I had a manager who then held me to the standard of that initial requirements document and said, you didn't deliver this and this and this. And like, well, it's like, uh, okay, do you need to go to your dance? Yeah, that was my, that was my daughter, that California girl, that's my daughter. <laughs> that's too funny. No, but I was held to that standard of that requirements document. I was trying to explain to this manager, like, over the process, it was months and months and months of this. I said, we learned and evolved and changed we delivered what was actually needed and we cut out a bunch of those, the requirement 
fat, you know, from that, from that, the, the project. I was just, so I learned that lesson early on, thankfully early on um, to, uh, well, also to better manage the expectations of the uninvolved manager who is ultimately responsible for my bonus. Uh, <laughs> versus the happy customers, the internal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at some point we have to define or derive requirements from business outcomes, but requirements are something that the business analyst creates so that the developer, developer can build if you're building something that requires custom solutions. What we want to interact with, with our end users and the product owners, if you will, is we really need to understand what the business issues are, what the challenges are, where the pain points are in the work, so that we can then um, derive a solution that, or define a solution that gets to those outcomes. Because for example, if someone says, well, you know, I need it to work this exact way, I need a button that's blue, and I say, well, sure, we can do that, it's gonna cost $500,000, all of a sudden they say, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 that's not what I really have, have to happen. If the standard button is green, I can live with that. Well, see, if you ask for requirements, that's what you get. If you focus on the work, you now have opportunities to introduce, hey, we have this capability um, in Microsoft Teams that you can get for free, may require some change of behavior. Let's talk about whether that works in your organization and can we accomplish this outcome using some, a different approach than what you've defined using the R word, if you will. Is that something, do you find that you're having to kind of train clients on this every time you go out or is, are, are people kind of understanding this, this evolution? Like it's not so much about requirements, but about the business outcomes and defining that way. I mean, you know, it kind of depends. I, um, I don't respond to RFPs anymore. And to be honest with you, that's where you see long lists of requirements I am in the fortunate position of being able to work with amazing people who approach me because they uh, res because how I work, how I think, and how I do uh, think about this resonates with them. And I have um, these amazing opportunities uh, because I speak and write to basically choose the clients <laughs> that I'm going to work with who are aligned to that. And it's amazing how many people um, in our uh, space of IT who get that. And um, it's fun for me because I work with them. So I don't often have to do that kind of training. And when I do, a light bulb goes off for everyone. Um, I learned this, as, as I said, as a junior consultant a long, long time ago, way before SharePoint, way before the cloud, way before any of this. And that lesson has been the most fundamentally important um, skill or knowledge or platform that I've had in all of the years I've been working, which is to not get hung up on the R word and to focus on business value. And... Um, and because I don't respond to RFPs, I don't get handed a list of requirements I have to push back on. Um, and so I don't have to do a lot of that um, at all. So um, it's a self-selecting uh, kind of thing, but I want to- That's great. It, you know, it, it used to be there was a small circle of, of you know, again, I, I, I'm thinking back to like a conversation we had in like, I don't know, 2010, 2011 at like an SP TechCon or something, but we were sitting and we were talking about kind of the business MVPs 
Yeah, I remember this. Folks that were kind of that had that focus. And I know that a bunch of us weren't MVPs yet, but uh, but you have like Sarah Hasse, you have Paul Colmsey, you have a bunch of these, you know, Eric Catulli, that these more business focused, you know, had this thing. And there was this, but we could kind of name them off. And now, I mean, that, that circle has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And it is the majority of the MVPs that are, you know, kind of work in this space that talk this way that think this way it's easier to go and and to have these kinds of conversations and people they understand they're living through the same the same thing the same evolution yeah, i don't know if i'd say it's the majority because i, I don't i wouldn't say the majority either right i, I mean i think there is a cadre of people all those people you named were not mvps in 2010 2011 oh, myself right. included um and i think there has been recognition over the years of the importance of business anal business analysis, business analyst and information architecture skills. And the nice thing for people who have always been people focused is that that doesn't change. Technology tools change, uh, development languages change, uh, that changes, but people are people and business problems are business problems. And those really good practices for organizing information, uh, delivering solutions based on outcomes and focusing on business value, those values, those fundamental principles um, have not changed. Certainly haven't changed in the number of years that I've uh, been in this space. And I'm glad because that's what I know how to do. Um, and I love learning new techniques to communicate that and learning new applications in which to apply those skills but i also love that that fundamental core set of skills that we've been talking about for a really long time are still important still needed and maybe even more so as more of the technology becomes commoditized the differentiator i think is how you use the technology to solve business problems yeah, it, it, exactly. Sue, I know we're, we're at, out of time here. We got both at the run to another thing, but so people want to find out more about you, uh, connect with you, reach out to you. What, how, what's the best way to reach you? Well, I have a website, susanhanley.com. I know you people call me Sue, but my website is my legal, my formal name. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Susan Hanley. On LinkedIn, I'm Susan Hanley. So I'm pretty easy to find uh, and pretty accessible. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot for your time. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Wow!